and supported us, and you've made us something, uh, a part of something larger than ourselves, a part of a community. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being our family and my family. And just speaking of family, um, one of the members of our family, Pastor Paul, is currently taking some much needed rest. He's on vacation with his family, and I just thought we could spend a little time praying for them, that it would just be a sweet time of restoration for all of them um, before the two of his boys actually head off to school. So if you would just bow your heads and pray with me. Gracious Lord, gracious Lord, you are so good as we were singing earlier. And I just think about the beautiful design of family that you um, put into place, Lord, when when you established your church, um, you made us to live in community with each other. And it is such a treasured gift. And we just lift up Pastor Paul to you and thank you for the ways that he pours himself out for this church body, for this family, Lord. And just ask your blessing on him as he is traveling with his sweet family. Um, we just ask that it would just be a wonderful time together. Um, that they would just be able to have really sweet moments where they can connect, um, just really sweet moments where they can just be together um, prior to the boys heading off to school. We just pray for traveling mercies um, and just a time of absolute rest and restoration for all of them. And as well, Lord, we just ask that um, you would help us today, that your Holy Spirit would be present I can do nothing with my words if you are not here. And so for all of us, Lord, we also can learn nothing if you are not helping. And so we just ask for your presence to be in this place, um, that you would help us all to grow to be a better and fuller picture of your beautiful body. We love you. Amen. All right, friends. So for the past few months, we have had the privilege of exploring the first five chapters of the book of Acts. And I do not know if you're anything like me, but I cannot believe how many amazing truths that God has laid out for us in such a short period of time. You know, we've learned through our time together that it is God's plan for Jesus' disciples to be the ones through whom Jesus continues to do and teach. And we've also learned that God in his goodness gives us his power from heaven in the form of the Holy Spirit to be able to do this good work. Over the past few months, we've also explored what it looks like when God's people are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've discovered that God's people become a kingdom community, a community that's surrendered to his will, his timing, and his direction, right? We've also learned that when a kingdom community is empowered by the Holy Spirit, that the entire community becomes a vessel for God, a vessel that lives by his values, a vessel that reflects his character, and, and a vessel that works to bring his wholeness to broken things. I mean, that really has been an incredible amount of learning. But church family, that really is not even the end of it. Because as we move into our time today, we're going to explore yet another way that the Holy Spirit empowers us as believers of God. Today, through Acts 4, and by looking at various parts of God's big story, we're going to learn how the Holy Spirit empowers us to make God known. And I really can't wait to take this journey with you. So let's grab your Bibles and we'll get started. If by chance today you find yourself without a Bible, just raise your hands and the ushers would be happy to pass one out to you. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts 4, verses 1 through 22. And before we read, while you're kind of paging through the Bible, finding your spot, I just want to, uh, let's remind ourselves maybe of where we've been in God's story. So the disciples, Peter and John, carrying out the work of the kingdom, have just brought wholeness and restoration to a lame man who's been sitting at the gates of the temple. And Acts 3 tells us that this miraculous act draws a great deal of attention from those nearby. So Peter 
right? Taking advantage of the opportunity explains to those gathered that what has just happened has happened because of Jesus. He proclaims that Jesus brought wholeness to this one lame man as a sign that he will eventually bring wholeness and restoration to everything. This is quite a proclamation of truth, isn't it? And of course, as with any proclamation about Jesus, it makes an impact. So let's read Acts 4, verses 1 through 22 to find out what that impact entails. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Did you catch how Peter and John's proclamation of Jesus impacted its listeners? It was pretty clear, wasn't it? As this portion of text shows us, when people were introduced to Jesus and Jesus was made known, some of the individuals who heard about him were drawn to him, right? We see this in Acts 4.4, which tells us that many hearing the message believed and were added to the New Kingdom community. However, we also see that when Jesus was made known by Peter, that others were opposed to the message and tried to prevent it from spreading. In either case, Acts 4 shows us that when Jesus is made known, the world is impacted in a powerful way. And this is what I would like to look at all of, with all of you today. During our time together, we're going to explore the truth that God desires each of us to make him known. We will first explore God's big story to understand why he desires to make us known. Then we will move to Acts 4 to uncover what it looks like in the life of a disciple to make God known. 
And then finally, we will dig into how we need the Holy Spirit to carry out this specific calling on our lives. Did you know that it has always been God's desire to be known? From the very beginning of God's story, we are introduced to a God that desires to be known by all his creation. We see this in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, where we're told that God created humans and gave them a purpose. And what was this purpose? Well, according to Genesis, God's purpose was for humanity was that they would multiply, fill the earth, order it, and be his representatives on earth. God created humans to bring his good character with them into the world and to make his goodness known everywhere they went. Why? Because it's always been God's desire that all creation would know him and the goodness of his ways. But a problem enters the story in Genesis 3 when we're told that these humans refuse to make God known in the world and instead decide to make their own selves known. In deep rebellion, humans choose instead to make themselves kings, to spread their own ways in the world instead of God's. And this could have been the end of the story. God could have left humans on their, to their own devices to glorify themselves and their own ways in the world. He could have let humans completely destroy themselves, completely destroy each other, completely destroy God's good creation. But in his unbelievable goodness, God was not content to leave us to our own selves. He was not content to let us destroy everything that he had created. Instead, God begins a mission to redeem the world from humans and their destructive ways and to once again make himself and his good ways known to all. Why? Because it's always been God's desire that all would know him and his goodness. So how does this mission begin? God starts his restoration plan to make himself known with Abraham, a single individual chosen from the world for a special purpose. God tells Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3, that he was chosen so that all the nations of the world would be blessed. God tells Abraham that he was chosen to know God so that eventually all the world could know God. This was God's plan for restoring the world back to his good ways, to use one family that would know him so that eventually all could know him. And as God's story continues, and as Abraham's family grows into a nation of people called the Israelites, we see God continuing with his plan to rescue the world from humankind's arrogance. God chooses the Israelites from the nations of the world so that eventually all the nations of the world could come to know him. In Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6, as God initiates his relationship with the Israelites on Mount Sinai, he states this, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This verse in Exodus tells us that God chooses the Israelites to be his appointed kingdom of priests. And as priests, the Israelites are to do the work of being the mediator, the go-between that would allow all the nations to know God and to be reconciled to his good ways. And why does he do this? He does this because it's always been God's desire that all would know him. What is even more remarkable about God is that he doesn't leave the Israelites to do this work all on their own. In his amazing goodness, God provides the exact thing that the Israelites need to accomplish the job. God gives the people his Torah, 
or his instructions. These teachings reveal to the Israelites who God is and what he cares about. They provide the Israelites with the exact tools needed to help them live as a community of love and justice that represents God's goodness. These teachings and instructions show the Israelites how to faithfully make God known to the nations around them. However, if you're familiar with the story of God, perhaps you know that God's people continuously fail at their task of living according to those teachings and according to God's good ways. They fail at their task of making God known to the other nations. Instead, the Israelites, like Adam and Eve, choose to make themselves known. And they do this by worshiping gods made of human hands and by participating in arrogant human acts of oppression and injustice. And again, this could have been the end of the story. God could have left the Israelites and humanity to their own devices. However, once again, in his unbelievable goodness, God was not content to leave creation in this state of self-glorification. So instead of leaving this world to tear itself apart, God begins to speak through his prophets of his continued plan to make himself and his goodness known in all the world. God proclaims that one day, he would raise up one individual from within the many, a chosen Messiah who would finally fulfill this role of revealing Yahweh to the world. Through the prophets, God proclaims that this Messiah would be a light to the nations, a light that would draw others to God, a light that would make God known to all. And we see this clearly in Isaiah, where God speaks about this chosen Messiah in chapter 49, verse 6. He says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And if that wasn't enough, God in his goodness also begins to speak through his prophets about a time when he would do something new through this chosen Messiah to the hearts and minds of his people. And it would be something that would finally help humans rid themselves of their tendencies for self-promotion so that they could finally live out their intended purpose of making God known. Not only would the Messiah make God known to the people, the Messiah would also enable God's people to finally live out their call of making God known to the nations as well. We see this promise beautifully laid out for us in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And as God's story continues, we see these prophecies play out. As Jesus arrives on earth, he does exactly what was prophesied that this Messiah would do. He makes God known to the nations through his life and his teaching. He becomes the light to the nations prophesied about in Isaiah. And not only that, 
But Jesus, through his death on the cross, takes on our sinful ways of making our own selves known and puts them to death. And through this act of self-sacrifice and salvation, Jesus becomes the covenant between God and God's people that Jeremiah prophesied about. By taking on our sin and putting it to death, Jesus becomes the way forward that finally helps God's chosen people live out their purposes of making God known. And friends, as we get to our story in Acts 4, we see this exact thing playing out. We see God's people finally living out their intended purpose of making God known to all through Jesus and his power. This chapter is not just some story that Luke is telling about the courage of Peter and John in the face of those who oppose them. Yes, that is there. But what Luke is revealing to us in Acts 4 is something larger. What we're seeing in Acts 4 is the fulfillment of those prophetic promises that God had made hundreds of years before in the book of Jeremiah. What we see in Acts 4 is another important step playing out in God's plan for all to know him. Through this story in Acts, we see Peter and John living as those promised new covenant people who through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit have a new heart and a new mind inside of them. In fact, they have God's heart and mind inside of them, fulfilling what was promised in Jeremiah 31. We see in this portion of scripture how these disciples plain, ordinary men with no official schooling in law and rhetoric, as Jeremiah calls them the least of these, we see these new covenant individuals having such an amazing knowledge of God poured into them that they utterly astonish those who have been schooled in law and debate from little on. Here it is playing out before our very eyes through the gift of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of God in them, we see God's people finally living out their purpose of making God known to all. And we also see that when they do make God known to all, when they do live out their intended purpose, that the world is changed because of it. It's miraculous. Now, if that wasn't amazing enough, what is even more wonderful, what is even more incredible is that we, as modern-day followers of God, are also called to be the ones through whom the prophecy of Jeremiah is carried out. As new covenant people who, through faith and obedience to Jesus, are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are also invited to make God known and impact the world. How magnificent is that? You and I are also the ones that Jeremiah prophesied about. We are also part of God's big story to make himself known to all. It's astonishing. This is our story. We can find ourselves as part of God's restoration plan. So, friends, now that we know we're part of this incredible restoration story to make God and his goodness known to all, now that we know that we're part of the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy as much as Peter and John, what does it look like to live out our intended purpose of making God known? Well, let's head back into our story in Acts chapters 3 and 4 to see what we can learn. According to what we see in Acts 3 and 4, we can note two ways that God makes himself known in, his, in and through his people. First, as noted in Acts 3, God makes himself known to all in the lives of his new creations through their deeds. From the very beginning of God's story with humanity, God's people were called to represent God through how they lived their lives. 
They were to act in the way that God would act. They were to bring flourishing with them wherever they went. They were called to free those who were oppressed and right injustice. They were to make him known through the way that they lived and through the way that they acted. The book of Isaiah speaks about God's desire for his people to make him known through their deeds. Turn with me, please, to Isaiah 58. We're going to look at verse 9b through 10. In this portion of scripture, God is angry at Israel. The Israelites have been carrying out religious practices and rituals, but they have not been making God known with their everyday deeds. God states that true worship of him, true living that makes his people a light to the nations, involves their actions. He states, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. God states that his people make him known to the world when they practice his ways of love and justice through their deeds. In Acts 3, we see John and Peter live out this exact truth as they see the lame man begging at the gates of the temple. They don't pass him by on their way to pray. They see a broken man oppressed by sickness and they work through their actions to set him free. Through their deeds of bringing wholeness to something broken, they make God known and their light goes forth. In Chapel Hill, as individuals called into God's story, we are also called to make God known through our deeds. Like Peter and John, we are to live every moment of our lives bent on finding brokenness, oppression, and injustice, and working to make it whole. In our actions with our family, in our interactions at school, in the way we act at the grocery store, at work, in church, on the soccer field, everywhere we go, all the time. We are called to bring wholeness and flourishing through our actions. This is how we spread God's kingdom. This is how we make God known and participate in his plan for all to know him. But that is not the only way God's people are called to make him known. In Acts 4, we can also see that God calls his people to make him known through their words. Peter and John did not heal the lame man and then duck into the crowd to hide themselves. They stopped. They began to bear witness with their words about who brought about this healing. And they spoke with such clarity and conviction about who Jesus was. They made Jesus known through their words in such a way that people's hearts were changed. Their words astounded everyone. Even the leaders of the temple and the Jews who held all the power in Jerusalem were astounded by the way that the disciples made God known through their words. Peter sees the crowd that has gathered and as a new covenant purpose, person with God's heart and mind inside of him, Peter can't help but use his words to make Jesus and God known. With his words, he proclaims that God is sovereign. He testifies that God rules the world and is the highest authority. 
With his words, Peter also makes known the truth that God brings life out of dead things and is bringing all things that are dead back to life. Peter makes God known with his words as he proclaims that salvation and rescue, the ability to bring wholeness to all, comes from Jesus alone because he was the one chosen by God to do so. Without fear and with confidence, Peter makes God and Jesus known through his words. And church, like Peter and John, we're also called to make Jesus known with our words. We are called to proclaim, as Peter and John did, what we have heard about God and what we have seen Jesus do in our own lives. We are to proclaim the ways that we've seen God's sovereign power play out in our own stories. With our words, we are to speak in such a way that makes known that there's a God who brings life out of all dead things. Through our testimony, we're also called to speak about ways we've seen Jesus rescue us from bondage and make us whole. Every word we utter matters. Our words are to proclaim who God is. Our words should sound like those of the psalmist who in Psalm 145 verse 8 through 13 states this, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom. They speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trusted worthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Like the psalmist, all of our words need to make God known. We are to speak in ways that heal and bind up hurt. We are to speak in ways that bring flourishing to others. We are to speak in ways that bring life. We are to speak in ways that confidently proclaim that God is holding all things together. As I reflected on our story this week, I think the thing that became most clear to me was the fact that we cannot just make God known one way and not the other. In our story for today, we see that what made it impossible for the Sanhedrin to do anything to Peter was the fact that his words had professed that Jesus was making all things new and that his deeds of bringing wholeness to the layman also showed that Jesus was making all things new. It was the combination of the two that made refuting the truth impossible, both things together words, and deeds. As God's chosen people, it is our job to make his ways known through our speech and through our deeds. It is the combination of both that makes God known. We can't do good acts at church and then turn around and belittle our spouse, yell at a waiter, spread gossip, or stir up division. We cannot speak about Jesus being Lord online and then cheat our bosses at work, exclude our friends at school, or participate in things that oppress or degrade other human beings. It is our acts and words together that make God known. But friends, we must not miss the important fact that Peter would never have been able to make God known with his words and deeds on his own. In fact, we actually have evidence of how this played out through Peter's life when he did try to do things on his own a little more than 40 days prior. Because on the night of Jesus' arrest, Peter was given the opportunity to make Jesus known to the world, and he failed 
instead of speaking up and making Jesus the Messiah known to all through his words and deeds, Peter cut off someone's ear. He fled and he denied that he even knew Jesus. This was just over a month and a half ago. So what has changed? Well, Acts 4.8 lets us know Peter was given help. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, like the rest of humanity, was unable with his own words and his own deeds to make God known. So God, in his goodness, found a way to help him and to help all of us with the task. He sent his Holy Spirit to fill us with his heart and his mind to help us make him known through our words and deeds. And friends, when God comes to make himself known through our words and deeds, you better hold on to your hats because God makes himself known with power. It's a power that changes lives. It's a power that takes hold of the world and shakes it right. And friends, what's even more incredible is that all God asks of us to be recipients of his power to make him known is that through obedience to Jesus, we surrender all we do and say to him. That's it. Every day, hand over our words and our actions to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will help us do the rest. Did you know that Jesus had actually already preached this truth to Peter and John while he was still with them on earth? He actually prepared them for the very experience of being placed before authorities and told them exactly what to do. He said to them in Luke 12, verses 11 through 12, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Before he left the earth, Jesus told Peter and John exactly what they needed to do. All they needed to do was surrender to the Holy Spirit to not fear, to not craft a defense, to not plan out how to make God known. Rather, they needed to surrender their words and deeds and allow the Holy Spirit to do all the work. How about that? And friends, the same is true for us. When we surrender all of our deeds and words to the Lord, we can leave it all up to the Holy Spirit to carry it out. We do not have to plot an argument, plan out our actions, or craft a perfect response. We just need to wait on the Holy Spirit to tell us how to move and to teach us at the time what to say. What an incredible God. Not only does he give us his heart and mind to help us live out our calling of making him known, not only does he give us his kingdom-shaking power to carry out this mission, he gives us the exact words to say and the exact things to do. All we need to do is surrender over our desire to make and speak, to make our own deeds or do our own deeds and speak our own words. And when we do, God will do powerful, world-changing things through us to make himself known. As we leave today, I wanted to share with you all a story of how this surrendering of self to Jesus has played out in my own life recently. As some of you may know, about a year ago, my dad had an accident while reciting a building on his farm. While he was alone, he fell from a ceiling board and suffered a severe brain injury. And one night, a day or two after his fall, while dad was on life support in the ICU, I felt God pressing on me, asking me to surrender my actions and my words to him, regardless of how things turned out for my dad. And with a great amount of pain and a tremendous amount of tears, I did. Our journey walking dad to Jesus lasted about 13 days. 
And during those 13 days, my siblings and I wrote journal entries on Caring Bridge, uh, a site that helped keep family and friends updated on how dad was doing. In church, I cannot explain it. But every night, as we three sat down to write those messages, the Holy Spirit was on us. Somehow, through no planning or crafting, in our grief, in our fear, in our exhaustion, the Holy Spirit gave us all the words to say. And they were words that a family in the middle of trauma and grief would never be able to say on their own. They were words that spoke of God's authority over all. They were words that proclaimed that Jesus was making all things new. They were words that testified that Jesus brought life out of dead things. Every time we wrote, we'd sit down at the computer unsure of what to say, and the Holy Spirit would move every single time. And friends, God used those journal entries to change hearts. After reading his words crafted with his heart, people made decisions to rededicate their lives to him, to surrender their wills to his. And not only that, but God's spirit also empowered us during one of the hardest seasons we've ever had as a family to do acts we probably never would have considered while in the middle of such intense grief. By the Holy Spirit's power, we were able to provide food to other families in the ICU. His Spirit gave us the ability to encourage the caregivers that were tending to my dad and comfort and pray with a family who was about to lose their own mom. Like Peter and John's declaration in Acts 4, we could not help speaking about what we had seen and heard when the Holy Spirit was working through us. It was a remarkable thing to be a part of and something we never would have been able to do on our own. And it's also something I now long for with every interaction that I have on a daily basis. That the Lord would use my words and my deeds to change hearts and lives and to make God's goodness known to all. And friends... It's my prayer that we would all find ourselves there, that we would be a church community empowered by the Holy Spirit, surrendered in word and deed to God, and able to finally live out our intended purpose of making God known in the world. As I invite the worship team up front, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together that we would all, as a community of believers, live out with obedience our call to be part of God's plan to make him known in all the world. Oh, gracious Father, it is impossible to stand up here and not see over and over and over again how good you are. Lord, there is no one like you. You are sovereign in power. You hold all things together. You bring wholeness out of broken things. And Lord, you bring life out of things that are dead. And not only that, gracious God, but you call us you call us to be a part of your story to make all things new. Gracious God, would you help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to be able to surrender our desires to make our own selves known through our deeds and through our actions. Would we instead, Lord, every day, out of gratefulness for what you have done for us, surrender our words and our deeds to you. And then, Lord, through your Holy Spirit power, would you take the vessels that we are and would you fill us? Would you use your power to make yourself known in and through us to 
to the world around us. May we be the light to the nations that you've called us to be, a church surrendered to you, willing with word and deed to make you known in all we do and in all we say. We love you, Lord, and ask that you would do this for us today and every day going forward. Amen. I would like us just to stay seated and continue in a time of reflection before we sing our last song and just uh, just practice surrendering and ask God to help you surrender to uh, whatever actions or words or deeds that um, you know aren't right or maybe you don't know. I just ask God to show you and uh, just take a couple of minutes and just in prayer with God. stand and join us. We're going to sing this last song and just celebrate our purpose together of making God known to the nations.